Now, I could have also, one of those times early in the process, I could also have used the knee board, right? Why do you suppose I did not? Why did I not use the knee board, do you think? Yeah, Frank? Pride. That's for kids. I don't need that. I can do this. That's the same reason we don't pray. I can do this myself. Really. We need to stand on our knees. If you don't remember anything else, when you're at the lake the next time around and you see somebody with a boat, remember this. Stand on our knees. So Paul comes to the end of this, this um, passage about spiritual warfare. And he, and he now gives more words to this last topic that, that he's going to mention. He says more about this than he does any of the other individual pieces of armor. He mentions the other armor, and we've got to unpack it. We've got to go other places in Scripture and remind ourselves, what is this about? But he unpacks this last one because this is important. This is where all the other imagery is going to be empowered. This is what's going to bring it home. This is what's going to make the difference. This is the one thing that is everything, standing on our knees. So let me read again in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to start at verse 13, pick up and remind us of this whole battle and armor that we're in the midst of so that we get this need of prayer in the midst of all this armor in, the, in, in its full context. It says, therefore, and the therefore is because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power, against spiritual evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take the whole armor of God. This is spiritual warfare. This isn't up to me. This is not physical. This, I cannot guts it through this. So I need God's armor that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, I suggested a reference to chapter 1. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, chapters 4 and 5, walking in the gospel. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, that's Ephesians chapter 3, or rather chapter 2, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times, in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, the apostle says, that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Father, would you help me this morning? Lord, to speak as I ought to speak. Lord, to be clear and to be bold. And Lord, would you open up our minds. Lord, would you give us, give the eyes of our heart understanding that we might see what you have done for us, that we might understand how we can step into it, that we might not only know of, but be able to step in and practice the access we have before your throne in heaven by prayer. Lord, press this upon our heart that our, our practice of prayer and our habit in it will be different even today, even tomorrow than it has been before. Lord, we are dependent upon you. And so, Father, speak that into our hearts in ways that draw us closer to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When, when Paul says, stand on our knees, when Paul says, stand in praying, 
praying for one another. First of all, he says, pray with your eyes open. Now, I know that catches you unexpected because we're supposed to bow our heads, close our hands, close our eyes, right? But pray with your eyes open. What do I mean by that? There's, there is an alertness. There is an awareness that we're supposed to have in prayer. Prayer is not a habitual, rote, empty, going through the motions, vain or empty, fruitless repeating of words that doesn't really mean anything. Prayer is intentional. We pray with our eyes open. We pray with an awareness. Pray with our eyes open. There's, there, there's five phrases I want to unpack here. The First of all, if we were following this in the original language, the order would be slightly different. The first thing that would be included is in all kinds of prayer. In every prayer and supplication, or in different kinds of prayer, because there are different kinds of praying, because there are different kinds of needs. There are different kinds of situations. You are in all kinds of moments. We don't just pray generically, Lord, bless me. Lord, help me. Sometimes that's all you've got time for. I'm not saying don't do that. But, but there, there can be a specificity, a, a clearness, a, a, an intentionality in our prayers, a, a, a speaking particularly to certain kinds of needs and certain then kinds of prayers, the supplications and giving of thanks and so forth. Let me give you an example of this. In different ways to pray. When the Lord's disciples came to him and said, Jesus, would you, would you teach us to pray? You know the way that John the Baptist teaches his, his followers how to pray? Would you teach us? We don't know how to pray, but we have watched you. We have listened in. And you seem to have, have this down. You seem to know how to approach God in prayer. And we want to learn how to do that. And so Jesus gives them a model, a template, an example of how to pray. It's not a rote praying, pray these words. He says, when you pray, pray this way. And then he gives us phrase after phrase. But I would suggest to you that not only is that a nice, all-encompassed a prayer that includes all of this, but there are different ways to pray that are modeled in those prayer. It's amazing what Jesus includes in a few words. Look at it again. Our Father who is in heaven. God is our Father. There's a relational component to prayer. Sometimes prayer is just a child drawing near their Father, maintaining that relationship and enjoying and communing in that relationship with God. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, exalted, honored, glorified. There is a worship kind of praying. There is praying that simply describes God for who he is and what he has done. God, there is none like you. There are songs of praise that are that way. We're not asking anything. We are declaring. There are psalms like that. They're called declarative praise psalms. They just declare who God is and what he's done. It's worship and prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What do we have there? We have big picture praying. Beyond my circumstances, beyond my situation, I, I, I'm, I'm looking at the bigger picture. God, this is what I'm asking that you would do worldwide. Big picture and that can then be applied into specific situations and how I would do your will as well. Thy will be done. Submission in prayer. Lord, give us this day our daily bread, the prayer for provisions. You have needs. You have situations and circumstances. You don't know how you're going to pay the bills this month. You don't know how your family member is going to make it in terms of this medical crisis. Daily provision, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as a prayer of confession. There's a time to confess in prayer. As we forgive those who sin against us, 
Lord, help me in the spiritual walk. Help me in my desire to be more like Christ. Make me more forgiving, more merciful, more kind, loving, serving others instead of myself. And Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Spiritual warfare in prayer. And maybe that's a focus of what we're going to spend more time in here in chapter 6. Certainly this comes at the end of that spiritual warfare focus. But you see there are different kinds. And Paul says in all of these kinds of prayer, in all kinds of needs. You see, not only do we pray all kinds of prayer, but those different kinds of prayer are because of different kinds of need, different kinds of situations. And, and this is obvious to you, and you could, we could brainstorm all kinds of things. Let me give you just three. Good times and bad times are two of them. Good times and bad times. Uh, somebody at the end of the first service reminded me of something they had seen there. They were just in the midst of a, of, a, of a family crisis and they had been praying fervently and diligently and persistently and God had answered and God had delivered. And there they were on this train riding, riding away from the city and away from the hospital where they had been and nobody else in the train car. This one man gets on the train car and he's wearing a hat and it says something like this on the front of this cap. It says, crisis averted or crisis over. God forgotten. It's so easy that in the good times, we don't pray. We forget to pray. We don't think to pray because everything's fine. Prayer is for when the bottom drops out. Why would I pray now? Things are good. You know, Job prayed when things were good. Remember, Job chapter 1, chapter 2, oh, and by the way, this week, if you have opportunity, I, know, I don't know how this fits into your 4th of July weekend, reading the book of Job, but I would encourage you to read the book of Job because we're going to be telling the story next week. We're going to be telling the story of Job, okay? So this, this fits into our spiritual warfare series. That'll be the last message in the series. And so read the book of Job. He said, I can't read 40-some chapters. I can't read the book of Job in one week. Well, read the first bits and the last bits and then read some stuff in between as you can get to it. But read the book of Job and read in it, okay? But Job prayed. You're going to find out as you start there. Job prayed for his family, for his kids, when everything was good. Man, it was so good it was good. And he prays. You say, well, a lot of good that did him. How do you know that? What if Job stands in faith and Job doesn't cave at the worst that the enemy can pour out on him and Job doesn't cave because he also knew what it was to pray when times were good. You see, the, the, the lie of prosperity, the lie of when times are good is that I don't need God. The lie when times are bad, the lie of, of, of bad times is that God doesn't really care. And so it may be that in the midst of times are bad. I'm so busy, I'm so distracted, or maybe I'm so pressed down that I don't bother to pray. Or maybe my, my prayers wind down or falter because I become convinced after praying some and not seeing God's answer that God must not care. I've been there. It's a miserable place to be. To think, well, I did pray. God didn't answer and I stopped praying. If the lie of prosperity is that I don't need God, the lie of despair is that God doesn't care about me. But he does. We know, he, yes, he cares. We know he cares. This table reminds us that he cares. He so loved us that he sent his son. I said I was going to give you three times. There's good times. Why pray? 
There's bad times. We give up on praying. There's busy times, and the lie of the busy time is this. I'll pray later. There's a lot going on right now. I'll pray. Yeah, yeah, I'll pray. Later. It doesn't take long. It doesn't have to. I know, sometimes, some of us, it does, but it doesn't have to. Prayer can be brief. Prayer can be short. But in all kinds of prayers, with all kinds of times, in every, with every prayer and supplication, Paul says, and with every, in every circumstance or at all times, and the, kind of, the times there is not chronological time, it's not all through the day, it's every kind of times. It's different kinds of times, different kinds of seasons, different kinds of circumstances. In all of these, we need to pray. Well, how would I pray? Sometimes the circumstances themselves seem to direct it, but I don't always know how to pray. Maybe I need to be praying for somebody else, but I don't know how to pray for them because I don't know really what's going on with them. I'll talk more about that in the future, but we pray in or by the Spirit. Our access to God is by the Spirit who indwells us. And that same Spirit who indwells us, the same Spirit that causes us to pray, the same Spirit who, who causes our heart to cry out, Abba, Father, our Father who art in heaven, that's the same Spirit who intercedes for us. And we don't even know how to pray. He interprets our prayer and presents them before the throne in ways that resonate in heaven. And he prays for us. We pray by the Spirit. We were told in chapter 5 to be filled by the Spirit. We're told in chapter 1 that we are, we are sealed by the Spirit. And so we shouldn't grieve the Spirit whether we walk according to the Spirit, that we don't fulfill the desires of the flesh, and we pray by the Spirit, that we pray in the way that the Spirit leads rather than just the things that occur to me. You say, well, that seems good and right. And it makes this whole notion of prayer not merely a matter of Christian behavior. So much, so often, we think about the Christian life in terms of the kinds and patterns of behavior that we're supposed to participate in. We think about the Christian life in terms of behavior. We should be thinking about our life in Christ in terms of relationship. That God has brought us back into relationship with him. And the communication and the communion of that relationship is exercised and enjoyed in prayer. In all kinds of prayer. That's one of the reasons that all kinds, not merely request, but Paul says specifically prayers and requests. Because sometimes prayer is simply communion. And conversation. All kinds of prayer. And yet you say, okay, to be filled with the Spirit. I understand that. That makes sense then. It's a relational thing, and I'm filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit carries me into the Father's presence, even in my prayers. And yet, Bob, I've got to confess, I'm not filled by the Spirit. I don't feel myself yielded to the Spirit. In fact, I know there's stuff in the way. I know there's stuff in my, in my walk right now that is not good and is not right, and it's between me and God. And I sense a distance rather than a filling of the Spirit. So I guess I can't pray. No, I say pray. And the kind of praying there is that confessional prayer. Start there. Forgive us our sins. And then, Lord, help me to walk in that forgiveness, forgiving others. And as you step into that forgiveness, forgiving others, as we talked about several weeks ago, you will experience and you will, you will perceive all the more. You will feel it. And God's forgiveness for you as you participate in that toward others. As you walk closer to him in those ways, you, will, you, will then, you can yield to him. 
So you confess, you yield, and then the Spirit fills anew. And your prayer becomes even richer and deeper in all kinds of other areas. With all kinds of prayer and all kinds of needs, by the Spirit, being alert in all perseverance, he says. Phrase by phrase, word by word, still in verse 18, not moving along here. Being alert in all perseverance. This is where I got the whole idea of praying with your eyes open. Being alert. Being awake. Being aware. First of all, the disciples, especially Peter, remember the Garden of Gethsemane where they're tired. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. They want to pray, and yet they don't. That's my experience. That's yours. I want to pray, and yet I don't. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus tells them, then be alert, to stay alert, watching in prayer for him. Peter tells us to be alert, to be sober-minded for the sake of our prayers, to have our eyes open, to be aware of what's going on, to have a spiritual awareness so that we can pray rightly, that our prayers will be deepened and strengthened and empowered because we're praying in ways that do agree with our Father who is in heaven. That are praying right into his mission and he can't wait to give his child the thing that we are asking for. I remember... A while ago, we talked about this pattern. In fact, I came across this little book. It was called Praying the Bible. And it was just a little book. And I, I read it, and I thought, wow, this is really helpful. And basically, the, the, the sum total of it was, start with the Psalms. Open the Psalms, and line by line, verse by verse, see what that verse reminds you of, causes you to think of, provokes you to pray for. It doesn't have to be praying exactly what the psalm is saying. It doesn't have to be in the same context as the psalm. But that line in the psalm, that prayer reminds you. Have you ever had the occasion where you're praying with somebody else and they're praying and as they pray, their prayer reminds you to pray for something? That's what he's saying to do with the psalms. And as you do that with the psalms, praying line by line through the psalms, just with the things that come to mind as you go through the psalm verse by verse, then it's keeping your mind focused in prayer. Do you, you, do you ever have this where you're praying along and your mind just along the way just wanders? There were more things you wanted to, but your mind just wandered off somewhere else. And now you realize, hey, wait, I was supposed to be praying. And I moved from praying into planning when I'm supposed to be still praying. Well, one of the ways to, does your mind do that or is it just me? It's just me, huh? The, so one of, the, one of the things about this praying the Bible was it gives you that pattern. It keeps your mind from being distracted about, okay, I prayed for the, the handful of normal things that I always remember to pray for, and then your mind just wanders off. And, and no, you let Scripture provoke all kinds of new directions or opportunities that we might pray for. And so I read that little book. And I said, wow, this is really cool. And I, and I bought a whole stack of them. And you took them home. You took them somewhere. I don't know what you did with them, but I hope you're using them. In fact, you read the first couple of chapters of that little book. You'd have it. It's a very simple little context concept. I just explained it. I think they added the last couple of chapters just to make it a, a book because they had to have a book so they could sell. But praying the Bible that we would be devoted, that we would persevere, make this a habit, make a list, develop a system, develop a routine, spray spontaneously, but plan to pray spontaneously. Make a determined effort and time, and when you, when you rise in the morning, carve time out there to begin your day with prayer, end your day with prayer. We pray at mealtime because that mealtime, that hunger reminds us of our need. It reminds us of our dependence. So you can pray for the food. You can make the kids wait a little longer. 
Don't, don't provoke them to wrath. Ephesians 6 speaks to that as well. But you can make them wait a little longer by also praying for something or someone else. Some families, for instance, have a card of mission, have a stack of missionary prayer cards that are there in a little box on the table. And maybe they have six, seven, eight of them that they cycle through. And at each meal, somebody takes one of those cards and before they eat, they pray for that family. It could be missionary families. It could be cards with the names of families, certain families in the church that you're going to be devoted to pray for. Because it says pray for all the saints. Not just missionaries. It's good to pray for missionaries. It's good to pray for people that we're sending away, like, like, the, uh, like the slide goes to the Czech Republic, and we hope they come back. And it's like the team that we send to Lebanon, and we, and we hope they come back. We're going to pray for them while they're there. But what about all the rest of us? Most of us aren't going to Lebanon or Czech Republic. We pray for all the saints. Easily we focus on a few and leave the rest of us, in a sense, kind of exposed, uncovered, vulnerable. We need to be connected as family together. We need to be praying for one another. He says, pray for all the saints. Lift your eyes beyond your own shoes. Intercession is by definition about others. And our Lord sits at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us. That, that, is, that is the essence of his character. And so Christ's likeness in us looks a lot like that, that we pray for others. The Christian life is not meant to be an individual race. It's not meant to be an individual stand. We stand together best when we stand on our knees praying for one another. I would encourage you, before you leave today, connect with somebody else. Bump into somebody else. Find out, hey, what's going on? Really? And in the midst of that, don't say, I'll pray for you. You know, sometime. Later. Maybe. (laughs) If I remember. You know, if the Spirit brings it to mind later. Otherwise, I'm a liar. Because I didn't pray for you like I said I would. But how about, may I pray? Could I pray for you now? Could I pray for you about that? And just, you know, don't keep them. Lunch is coming. You know, don't, don't. But pray for one another. Spend a little time. One of the best ways to get, one of the things I I, I try to convince young couples of, and we're talking about them getting married, is them spending time together in prayer. That's, That's a great way to bring hearts closer together in fellowship. Praying for another. It's hard, to, it's hard to keep fighting with somebody that you're praying with. You can do it. Come on. I, I, I bet some of you can, but, but it's, it's harder. So you have to be more skilled. Paul says to pray for one another. Pray for all the saints. And then he says, pray for me. And I find, that, I, I find it's interesting that when Paul says pray for all the saints, all the saints includes Paul. All includes Paul. He says, pray for me. Because, like, Paul, you got it. You got this handled. You got this. You're, you're the one telling us how to survive in the spiritual warfare. You've got this. Paul says, pray for me that I may be given words. Pray for me that I may talk boldly of this gospel. Paul does not pray for his circumstances. Here he is. Paul's in prison. Paul's in chains. He's not talking about his circumstances. He's not talking about how uncomfortable it is. He's not talking about the hassles and the difficulties. And God, wouldn't you just take it away? There's a time to pray for that. Paul, Paul prayed for this thorn in the flesh that he had. I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He describes this. where He prayed three times that the Lord would take this thorn away. And God did not. God said, in the midst of that thorn, my grace is enough for you. And yet, here, when Paul's talking about prayer, for him, 
In the midst of his confinement, while he awaits his audience with the emperor, he does not pray for his circumstances. He needs to sustain himself. While he's in confinement, awaiting the audience with the emperor, he has to support himself. Friends provide food for him. The essentials that he needs, the, the, uh, the, uh, the soldiers guarding him don't provide those things. But he could, he could be mentioned, hey, pray that I'll have the provisions I need. Pray that I'll have this. He doesn't. He says, pray. Pray that I will speak the mystery of the gospel boldly as I ought to speak it. Paul prays concerning this audience that he's going to have that words may be given me in the opening of my mouth. Think, really, Paul? Praying for words? I mean, this is the guy that started out the book of Ephesians and, and his first sentence runs for 13 or 14 verses. Paul normally didn't have trouble finding words. This is the guy that in the book of Acts, he preaches all night long and a guy falls out of the window, falls asleep, falls out of the window. That's why we don't have window seats any longer. <laughs> he falls down. They revive him. They bring him back. And then Paul finishes his message. Pray for Paul that he will have words. The words will be given him. Paul didn't seem to have trouble with words. I wonder. Maybe that's because Maybe his ministry was effective in words because God gave him words and one of, the, one of the means of those words being given to Paul was that the church prayed for him, that God would give him words. Here he is. In a moment in history, he is going to stand before the emperor and he is going to represent the glory of the mystery of the gospel. Now, that mystery of the gospel is a unique phrase. It refers not merely to this great good news that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. It's more than that. That was a Jewish thing. He was a Jewish Messiah, and he's fulfilling the patterns of the Jewish sacrifices. And Paul coming to the emperor in Rome, the emperor thinks that Paul is coming as a Jew with some Jewish theological issues that the Jews in Jerusalem didn't like, and it stirred up a big problem, and that upset the apple cart in Jerusalem, and the emperor's not going to like that. So he's basically going to tell Paul, hey, sit down and shut up, or... We're going to take care of you. But this is not a Jewish issue. This is not a Jewish social upheaval issue. This is not a Jewish theological issue. This is the gospel of Jesus for all nations. And Paul has been going all over the world, all over the Roman Empire with this gospel that there's no difference, Jew or Greek, male or female, bond or free, rich or poor, town or country, it doesn't matter. All are one and all have the same access in Christ. Those who are far off have been brought near. And now Paul is taking that same message of the gospel for all nations, the mystery that this Jesus, this Jewish Messiah is for all the world. He's taking that to the titular head of all the world, the emperor in Rome. And God has done this. See, Paul recognizes there is a spiritual moment here, a moment in history that God has brought about, that God has called him to, and God will set him before this man. And this is not simply circumstances that have moved. This is a divine appointment, and he wants the right words from God for this man in that moment. You're going to have one of those moments tomorrow. I don't know who it's going to be with. One of my neighbors surprised me this morning. 
I was outside watering, watering the roses. Julie normally takes care of all this stuff, but she doesn't get back till tonight. And so I was out watering the, the roses and the other plants out in front of the house, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I was properly dressed because one of my neighbors came by and told me, hey, thanks, you did a good job at that funeral service last week. I don't know who this was. Is somebody walking in our neighborhood? But, but somebody that obviously was involved with that family that's our neighbors that just had this crisis and, and tragedy in their family and... We got to be in the middle of that, called into that. And, and I don't know when those appointments are going to come. I don't know when, what exactly they're going to look like. But you're going to have an appointment tomorrow. God has, is, is going to bring you to somebody tomorrow, the next day, this afternoon. I don't know. Maybe it's at your 4th of July picnic or function or outing or whatever that's going to look like. Maybe it's that one family member you're hoping wasn't even going to come. Oh, God, give me words. No, 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 nice words. Nice words. Gospel words. Okay? See what Paul, Paul's showing us how to specifically pray, going beyond bitterness into the ways to pray here. And Paul says pray for perspective. Pray for opportunity. Pray for me to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Oh God, would you show us this moment that we really are in the middle of? Would you show us what's really going on? Would you, like you do in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2, pull back the curtain a little bit so we could see the, the bigger spiritual issues that are at play in the midst of our circumstances so that our eyes would not be focused on the circumstances merely but what our God is doing in the midst of it. Oh, God, give us a little more perspective. Paul sees himself as an ambassador of Jesus Christ in chains. The chains are the mere circumstance that bring him into the emperor's presence. And in the midst of these chains, you know what that has done? Those chains have been the cause of the gospel entering the whole palace guard. I mean, Paul has got a new witness every four or six hours. He's got a new person to talk to. Imagine, you could go to jail too. And there you'd have this rotation of guards and new guard would come and every time the new guards came, you could, you could have somebody new to talk to the gospel about. You say, well, gee, I don't think that's a good idea. Okay, well, do this. Go speeding down the freeway. And every time a new Washington State patrolman pulls you over, you can say, hey, have I got some news for you? You say, I don't like that idea either. But I'm okay, well, no, I don't really recommend that. It's probably not good for the testimony side of it. But who will God bring you to? And will you see it? Oh, God, get me perspective. Show me that I'm not just me. I'm an ambassador. I'm an ambassador of the King of Kings. I have been changed. I, I am a child of God. I'm an heir of glory. And in the midst of all this mess, God is going to use me to tell something of himself to somebody else. Let's start little. Let's do it with kids. Vacation Bible camp. Maybe there. I don't know. Maybe it's some of those that are helping with Ryan. One of, one of the, Ryan's goals, he told us a couple weeks ago, his goal in the fireworks stand this week, that every person that buys fireworks is, giving, is given an invitation into our vacation Bible camp as well. Maybe they've got kids. Maybe those kids might come. And his desire is that we would be introducing ourselves well to people in our community, that there would be a relationship started here or there in the midst of selling people explosives. Maybe that can work. But whatever, whatever opportunity God gives us, oh, Lord, would you see it for big, would we see it for bigger than it is? Would we see what you might be doing in the midst of all of this? 
Part of that perspective, I think, is that Paul understands. He says, pray for me because prayer makes a difference. Paul's convinced of it. He says, pray for me, that mystery of the gospel for which I'm ambassador in chains so that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Did you ever think of Paul as somebody that needed boldness? Did you ever think of that? Does Paul seem like somebody who's shy? Does some, Paul seem like somebody who's a little hesitant, you know, hangs back? Oh, gee, I don't know what to say here. Maybe somebody else will talk. Paul doesn't come across that way, does he? And yet, if you read 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1 Corinthians, maybe it's 2 Corinthians. I get the two letters confused. Same church, it's okay. The Corinthians apparently described Paul as, his, his, his speaking wasn't like that impressive. And his, his, his physical presence was not commanding and bold and captivating. His physical presence was unremarkable. Not worth noticing. Something like Jesus who had no stately form or majesty that we would want to look upon him. But Paul comes across in the historical record and that which we read in his words in the epistles and that which we read about the boldness of, 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 of his witness and his testimony through the book of Acts, we read that and we say, oh, that I could have that courage and that boldness. Maybe that boldness comes to this man because he consistently asked people, would you pray for my boldness? I'm... I'm I'm really kind of withdrawn at heart. I'm kind of an introvert, really. <laughs> would you pray for me? What would happen if among this church we prayed for boldness for one another? And that God would do it. That the gospel of Christ would be proclaimed. Paul says, pray for me so that I may declare it. He believes that the result of their prayer, that's a result clause, it's what it's called in Greek, the result of their prayers will be that he will declare the gospel the way it needs to be. And that's what needs to be. We need to declare the gospel, not merely fill in the square, we need to declare the gospel as it needs to be. What if we begin to pray for one another? What if your six or eight mission cards on your table were not merely some of our missionaries that are somewhere else, but some of our ambassadors that are right here? Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, would you? Would you call us to prayer? Father, would you commit us to this work of standing on our knees? Lord, the battle is more than we can bear. The battle is, is, is more than we can stand for. We will, will not resist the onslaughts of the enemy. We will not stand against his attacks. We will not uh, catch all the flaming arrows. While we watch the front, others might fly in from the back. But Father, would we have one another's backs by prayer? Would you, Lord... Teach us to pray. Your disciples asked you the same, Father. We ask it now. Would you teach us to pray, not merely in showing us words to say or how to pray, but, Father, would you teach us to do it? Father, would you press us all the more in drawing near to you to stand on our knees, eyes open, looking for you and what you will do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.